Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke again, the first chapter. It's on page 856 in the Blue Bible in front of you. We're going to skip the part in the story that you're probably most familiar with, and that is the part where the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and tells her that she's going to have a child. That Mary was going to have a child is not news. She's a young girl who's about to be married. In her mind, of course I'm going to have a kid. That's what happens when you get married. Okay? What startles her, though, is that the angel says she's going to have a baby before she gets married. And she's just... goes right over her head. She's puzzled how this could happen. And the angel explains that it's going to be a God thing. And then to verify, he gives her a sign... And said, your close relative Elizabeth, the woman we learned about last week, the old woman who finally had a child, he said, she's, she's pregnant. She's in her sixth month. And so we pick up the story today as Mary rushes to go to Elizabeth, her close relative, and the encounter when these two meet. She would have gone the distance. We're not told exactly where Elizabeth lived, but it would have been maybe 80 to 100 miles away, probably three-day journey for her to be able to go to visit Elizabeth. Certainly not to extenuating circumstances later in Mary's pregnancy when they had to travel to Bethlehem when she was great with child. But she goes to see Elizabeth, and as she walks in the room, Elizabeth, who's six months along, the baby jumps inside of her. Now this baby inside of Elizabeth is John the Baptist, remember? Whose job it is... To point to Jesus. And Elizabeth is like, wow. You walked in and this kid said, there he is. John is already pointing to Jesus and he's not even born yet. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 39. We're told in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. As we look at this story about Mary, there are several things that we can learn about her. And then we're going to look at them at her and see what we can learn from her. First of all, what can we learn about Mary in this story? Number one, Mary needs a Savior. And we get that from Mary herself. She says in verse 47, she refers to God as God my Savior. You know why? Because Mary knew that she too needs a Savior. Many people are confused today about Mary, the mother of God, the role that she plays, and and the, the worship that many people give to her. We want to pause for just a moment and acknowledge the wonderful work of Mary and the role that she plays, but we don't want to exalt her above who she is. She herself recognized that she needs a savior. Some people teach that Mary's conception, not the conception of Jesus, but Mary's conception herself was immaculate. She was free from sin. They believe that she lived a sinless life. They even believe that she was perpetually a virgin, not just at the birth of Jesus, but for her whole life. These are things that are taught, but there's nothing about those things in the Scripture. Nothing in the Bible that says that. In fact, there's plenty of verses that teach the opposite. We're not saying that Mary's a terrible person, she's a wicked person, but she needs a Savior, just like we do. And she acknowledges that herself. We're not putting Mary down, but we want to make sure that we teach what the Bible teaches, that we don't go beyond what the Word says. But we would do well to learn from Mary. Even though some have overdone it with her, she wants to make sure... That God is the only one who's magnified. That God is the one who is glorified. She took no credit for anything good in herself. She praises God for God's attributes. Those qualities that make Him God. She praises God for His history of working with the people. All the way back to Abraham, she says. We acknowledge that she was blessed to be the mother of the Messiah. But we would never pray to Mary. Why? What can Mary do for us when we pray? When we're told in Hebrews, the book that we're going to look at next month, starting in January, we can go to God right through Jesus ourselves. Why would we pray to Mary when we have direct access through the work of Jesus on the cross? Mary experiences, though, the blessings that come from God. Elizabeth lists two 
blessings that Mary experienced in her life. Two specific ways. One, she did not view herself as better than anyone else. She saw that she needed a Savior, and yet she was blessed to be chosen by God to be the mother of the Savior. Stick with me. She was not chosen because she was so good. She was chosen because she was so blessed. There's a big difference. She does not hold herself up and say, look at me and all the good things that I have done, and therefore God has chosen me. She understood that God had chosen her out of his sovereign will because he's God. And it was a blessing for her to be chosen by God. She was blessed because she was chosen. She was not chosen because she was good. She didn't earn any favor with God. God never promised her, listen, if you're good enough, you can be the mother of the Messiah. It's not the way it worked. However, she was a woman of good reputation. Why do I make that point? To be the mother of the Messiah, she had to be someone with a good reputation. She didn't have to be perfect, but she also couldn't be a prostitute. Someone who's going to carry the Lord has to be a virgin, has to be pure in many ways. Not perfect, but good enough. What's the point for us today? How many of us are not worrying about how we live our lives? Well, God can use me, however. No, God uses us as we keep ourselves pure for Him. God doesn't love us more because we're good, but we do seek to be good so that God can use us. Elizabeth goes on and said, Not only was she blessed because she was chosen, Mary was blessed because she believed God. Look at where is it, verse 45. Elizabeth said, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, many people believe, myself included, that this may have been early enough in Mary's pregnancy that she wasn't even sure at this point she was pregnant. She certainly wasn't far enough along to where you would know, know that you were pregnant. And I don't think they had all those early pregnancy tests that we have nowadays. And so we are at a point now when Elizabeth says, you are blessed because you believe what you can't see yet. She believed what the angel had said. Now, ladies, could Elizabeth have been talking about her husband here? You do remember the story from last week when the angel came and told Zechariah that they were going to have a baby. He's like, I don't believe you. I need a sign. And he couldn't speak for nine months, remember? I wonder if when Elizabeth is saying, you are blessed because you believe the angel. You think she looked at Zechariah and said, see, see, she believed. The same angel came to her and she believed, right? You can just see Elizabeth shaking her head, Right? What's wrong with you? She believed. Why didn't you? But you do understand it is a blessing to believe God. If we believe and trust God's word, it's because God has blessed us with the faith to believe. 
Not because we're so good, not because we're better than other people, but because we've been blessed with the sight to see the unseen. Mary has that. But there are several things. Not only do we learn by, about Mary, we can learn some things from Mary by looking at what she did here. Verse 49, she said, He who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary has humility here. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Stick with me. She's carrying the Son of God as a virgin for God. And what does she say? He's done great things for me. And I'm like, Mary, you don't get it. You're doing something great for God. Not God doing something great for you. But she understood in her humility that she was a servant of God. And God had blessed her with the opportunity to be a servant of God. And we run around, we look at me, look at what I've done, look at all I'm doing for God. If anybody had any room for boasting, good grief, wouldn't it be Mary? And she's like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about how great God is and what God has done for me. Second, we see the servant of God being obedient. We learn obedience from Mary. The angel said, this is what's going to happen. And she said, okay. Let's do this thing. I am your servant, Lord. Boy, couldn't we learn from that today? When we hear the word of God, we hear what God wants us to do. We hear how God wants us to live. And we fight against it. We argue against it. We do everything we can to not fulfill God's purposes and plan in our life. We learn from Mary the obedience that she has here. She saw herself as a servant. Third, we see what we've already mentioned, her tremendous faith. The angel comes to Zechariah and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not believing this thing. The same angel comes to Mary and she's like, okay. She has faith. And she knows that she's going to go out and tell people and nobody's going to believe her. Right? Right? What, you think you're going to walk out and say, oh yeah, an angel told me I'm going to be pregnant. There was no man involved. It was God. And everybody was going to just believe her. Oh, okay. You know what I bet she wished when the angel left? You know what happened. Oh, I should have taken a selfie with the angel. And then I could show it to people. See, there was an angel that told me this. Oh, I missed my chance. She has faith to believe what nobody is going to believe. She had no way of knowing fully how this was going to affect her. She's a young, unmarried woman. She knew her reputation was toast. She knew that. But how this was going to play out in her life... She doesn't know. 
Matthew tells us that as soon as Joseph finds out, he finds out, by the way. She doesn't tell him. When did he find out? They're sitting at dinner one night, and he looks over and says, Honey, you seem to be putting on a little weight there. That was when the, the, the jig was up. And she had to come clean. And Matthew tells us that Joseph intended to divorce her. Why wouldn't he? He knew he hadn't had relations with her. He knew that wasn't his kid. And he wasn't buying some angel story either. Mary has tremendous faith because she believes the word of God of what's going to happen. And she says, I am his servant. Let's do this. Even though she didn't know how it was going to play out in her life with Joseph. Yeah, yeah, I get it. We know the end of the story. We see that Joseph is a righteous man and he does the right thing. She didn't know that. And she was obedient even though she saw this could cost me everything. What we see in this story is not only do we see the obedience and the humility of Mary, we also see her worship. She doesn't get a big head. Some of us, you know who I'm talking about. Some of us have a big head and we haven't even done anything like Mary did here. Can you imagine if I did something great like that for God, how big my head would be? Good grief. Mary doesn't get a big head from this experience. The first thing out of her mouth when Elizabeth is, is singing her praises, Mary says, my soul magnifies God. That ought to send chills up our spine. What does it mean to magnify? My soul magnifies the Lord, she says. To magnify something is to make it look bigger. And she said, I want God to look bigger through me. I want to magnify his name. Boy, we could just stop right there and stay for a while, couldn't we? How many of us need to learn the lesson of, of magnifying God and making him look bigger? And it raises the question, how do you do that? We can't make God bigger than God already is. God is infinite. But we can magnify God in the eyes of other people. Through our worship, through our praise, we can make other people see how God we big God is to us. And she seeks to do that through her praise. Notice how much praise there is in her prayer. We don't spend enough time in our praying just praising God for all he is and all that he has done. You know that? We spend way too much time asking God for things. We don't spend enough time praising him and magnifying his name so that other people can see how big he is to us. She says, my soul, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She said, I rejoice in God. Let's stop and think about that for a second. How often, girls, don't be talking. How often are we guilty of rejoicing in what God has done, but we don't rejoice in God? 
We get a new job and we go tell everybody about the new job more than we tell people about the God who got us the job. We rejoice in God, in who He is and what He is doing in our lives. How many of us truly rejoice in Him and who He is? That's what we're supposed to do here in worship. Keep our minds focused on God, who He is, and what He is doing in our lives. Finally, we see this morning from Mary, we learn some good theology. We get scared with the word theology. It sounds you know, intimidating. And theology, to be honest, can be very daunting. One of my lowest grades in seminary was in theology. If you're not careful, theology can become dry and boring. But if we do theology right, theology simply means the study of God. You'll hear people say, well, I don't do theology. Really, you don't study God? And you think God's okay with that? God is so unimportant to you that you won't even study Him because to study God is to do theology. And so by listening to what Mary says here, we can get some good theology. She tells us three things about God in verses 49 and 50. Number one, she tells us about God's power. Now listen, when you're a virgin and God with his power makes you pregnant, that's power. Something that had never happened in human history, something that has never happened again in human history. And she said, God did that in me. That's power. But you understand, it does us no good for God to have power if he doesn't use that power in our lives. We worship God today not just because of his power, but because of his useful power. The way that he has used it for us. That Jesus was born of a virgin demonstrates God's power. But if God didn't do it, it wouldn't do us any good. If God didn't cause this to happen, that God could do it, great. But God didn't just have power, he used his power for us. Second, Mary talks about how God is holy, righteous, he's pure. You understand the whole point of Jesus coming to earth, being born, living, and dying, was because we are not holy. Because we are unrighteous. Because we are sinful. And God in His power, God in His holiness, could have rejected us and said, go to hell. Do you understand that? God was not obligated to save us. He saves us out of His love and His mercy for us. He's holy and righteous, and instead of rejecting us because we are not holy and righteous, God does something about our problem. Doesn't that show us something about God's heart? How many times do we reject people because they are not good enough? They do something and they hurt us, and so we reject them. God could have done that with us. If God was like us, that's what he would have done with us. He would have just rejected us and sent us to hell. But that wasn't good enough for God. God being holy 
recognized that we needed something to make us holy. And he said, I'm going to do something about that. He has the power and he has the holiness to want to do something here about our problem. Don't call Mary holy. Call God holy. Because Mary does. Mary recognizes that distinction. Third, not only do we see God's power, God's holiness, we also see God's mercy. God's mercy here is demonstrated, and she says, I don't deserve this. I'm just a humble girl. History tells us that Mary and Joseph came from very poor means. We're not a wealthy family. Very poor. And yet God chose to bestow on her riches that we can't compare, that we can't imagine. And what she does there at the latter part of of her song is she talks about how God takes the mighty and he brings them low. And he takes those who are humble and he exalts them. God takes the rich and he sends them away hungry. And God takes the poor and he fills them with all good things. What Mary is referencing here is what's called the reversal of fortunes. That God turns things upside down. God doesn't work the way we think God should work. God doesn't work the way we work. Because we are all about power, money, influence. God is about working through weakness. God is about working through humility. And God reverses the situation here. And she said, I had nothing and now I have everything. People who thought they had everything, they're going away with nothing. God reverses fortunes because God is merciful. This is a major theme that plays out in Luke's gospel. Remember the story of the rich man and the poor man Lazarus? What happened? The rich man had everything and he died. The poor man had nothing and he died. And then in the end, the rich man in his torment said, I need somebody to come and put some water on my tongue. The poor man was in Abraham's bosom and their, their lives had been turned upside down. That's what God does. He doesn't work through the rich and the powerful, not because he can't, but because God chooses to work through the weak, through the poor, so that he can get the glory, so that he can get the praise. God can work through people who are rich, but most people who are rich don't want God to work through them. They want the power. They want the glory. God works through those people who are dismissed. Boy, isn't that played out in the life of Jesus? Here Jesus comes. He lives. He's the Son of God. He is the creator of the universe. And the rich and powerful religious leaders say, He ain't nothing. They wouldn't listen to Him. They didn't believe in Him because He was just this poor kid who came from a carpenter's family. But let's come back to where we started last week, the point of Christmas, what we want to see this year at Christmas time. Christmas is not just a bunch of facts, dates, places, people. Christmas is a story that is to be experienced again and again. Yes, it's a true story, it is historical, it's a real event. But it's much more than just history. Because you can know the facts. 
You can know the details of the story and yet not experience what was taking place here. We are to experience the God of Christmas. And that's what Mary is doing in this story. We learn about God from what God does by looking at how he has acted in history. And we want to learn more about God by watching how he has worked at Christmas. I want to get the, you to get the image in your head. Christmas is not about cold facts. Christmas is about putting on your swimming trunks and climbing into the hot tub and experiencing the warmth of God's love and his mercy. And just to bask in it. Ah, this feels good. Because if you walk out of Christmas without experiencing what happened, first, God is wonderful. God is powerful. God is holy. Why? Why? For us. Yes, so he can receive glory, but God also did this for us. Climb in and enjoy it. Experience the love of God. See, what happens at Christmas is we get so caught up in the joy of Christmas that we forget why we have joy at Christmas. You know why we have joy at Christmas? We're supposed to, right? If you're not, you're just Scrooge. That's your problem. We don't have joy at Christmas just because we're supposed to have joy at Christmas. We have joy because of what God has done at Christmas. Joy is a secondary emotion. The primary emotion that we have at Christmas is hope. Right? Because through the birth of this child, through his life, through his death for us, we have hope. And because we have hope, ah, I can have joy. Where would we be if there was no hope? The problem at Christmas time, though, is the experience of Christmas has been so overshadowed with all the stuff we do at Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you are starting to feel the stress of Christmas? All that stuff that you still have to do, all that stuff that you still haven't done, that, oh my gosh, I've got to buy this, I've got to do that. The problem with modern Christmas is that what Christmas is about gets lost. We start doing Christmas and we forget the gift of Christmas. And we forget the giver of the Christmas gift. Mary sought to make it all about God. Mary was focused on Him, not on herself. Let me give you some tips real quick of how you can put God back in Christmas. Stick with me. Number one. If you want to put God back in Christmas, find ways to magnify his name. That's what Mary does here. Not just in your heart, 
but so others can hear you. Mary sang this song and it got written down for us so that 2,000 years later, we're still magnifying God through what she said. Find ways to magnify God. And one way we can do this is through giving God a significant gift to show Him how much He matters to us. Stick with me. I saw this on Twitter yesterday. So what a woman said on Twitter yesterday, quote, she said, okay, the Christmas tree and the decorations are up. Can we just open gifts now and be done with this? There you have it. Modern day Christmas is just something that we got to do. And why don't we just do it and get it over with and we can get back to life. I read that and I thought, I think somebody's missing something here about Christmas. If we're not careful, we won't be as crass about it as she is. But how are we any different? We're going to go through Christmas. If we're not careful, we're going to go through Christmas again this year with God in the back seat. Secondary or even less in our priority list. Find ways to magnify God and to put the focus on Him. We spend so much time at Christmas literally wearing ourselves out celebrating Christmas that we have no time for God. Number two. If you want to put God back in Christmas, dial back the gift giving. Are you with me? How many of us know we spend way too much at Christmas time on gifts that we can't afford? Now let me be clear. I'm not talking about the gifts that you buy for me. I'm talking about other gifts. Okay? Part of the stress that we have at Christmas time is buying gifts for people that we don't even like, but because we're expected to buy them. That's not Christmas, folks. God did not do this for us because he was expected to. God's gift at Christmas was because he wanted to. And if you don't want to buy somebody a gift, then for heaven's sakes, don't do it. You don't honor God by being a phony and giving a gift that you don't want to give. Unless it's a gift for me, then it's okay. But seriously, we spend so much time giving gifts to people that we don't even like, giving them stuff they don't even need. You want to put the focus back on God, dial back the gift giving. And here's the point. Make sure they know why you're doing it. Don't just don't give the gift and let them think that you're a cheapskate. Don't give them a gift and say, you know what? We're trying to keep the focus on God this year. We're trying to focus on the real gift of Christmas, the most significant gift at Christmas. If we don't explicitly tell them that, they're not going to know why we did it. Maybe they're going to think we just didn't have any money. We didn't want to do it. Make it a point, though, this year, 
Not just to tell them that you're dialing back the gifts. Make it a point number three to tell them about their need for a Savior. Jesus does not offer blanket salvation to everyone simply by being born. Jesus' salvation and the salvation he provides is through his death. And it's only received by those who open up and accept it. God doesn't just say, you know what, everybody goes to heaven because Jesus died on the cross. And if we're going to put God back in Christmas, we need to start opening our mouths and telling people, you need a Savior. Just like Mary needed a Savior. Just like we need a Savior. We don't receive the gift just because we were born. We have to be born again. It's amazing the number of people who will celebrate Christmas and they will talk about Jesus, the Savior, who has been born, but then they don't acknowledge that they need a Savior. Well, if Jesus, the Savior, was born, why don't you think you need a Savior? What was he born for then? But God doesn't leave it up to us to decide how we're going to receive this gift. If we're going to receive it, we have to receive it the way God tells us we have to do it. Quickly, turn over to one last passage, Luke chapter 11. Fast forward 11 pages, more or less. Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at two verses real quick, then we're going to close. One day Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 11 beginning in the 27th verse. As Jesus said these things, Luke 11, 27, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. She was praising Mary. Seems like a great thing to do. Here's what Jesus' response was in verse 28. But Jesus said, Rather... Those who are blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Was Mary blessed to be the mother of the Savior? You bet. But Jesus said it is even better to be blessed by being obedient to God. Blessed is the mother that gave you birth. No, no, no. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus said one day, he said, that's not my mother, that's not my brother, that's not... My family is the family that does the will of God. The question for us today is, are you part of God's family? Jesus acknowledged he could have other mothers, women in the faith. You could be the mother of Jesus if you're part of the family of God. You could be a brother of Jesus. We can be related through obedience to God and faith in Him. Are you? Or are you just going to go through Christmas again this year and just do all the Christmas stuff and miss the greatest part of Christmas? 